Linda Stoltzfus vanished on her way home from church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Her quiet Amish community had their innocence shattered as the world watched the investigation unfold. This is Keystone Crimes by Abigail Martin. Investigators have reason to believe Stoltzfus was harmed following her abduction. We are doing everything we can to find Linda and to bring her home to secure justice for her family and the community. Searches for Linda are ongoing. This case will not be closed until we locate Linda Stolzfus. Episode 2, The Search. On June 22nd, the same day Linda was reported missing, the search for her began. There was no hesitation as everyone was desperately hoping to return the young girl home. I spoke with Tim Horner, the president of the Burden Hand Fire Company and past chief for 10 years. He led the search for Linda, being one of the first to spring into action on that early June morning. It was six o'clock on uh, Monday after Father's Day. I got a phone call from a, uh, a friend uh, that lives back on and has a business back on Gibbons Road. And he said, Tim, this is Dave. I got a problem, I need search dogs. And as a result of that, I, I was like, okay, why do you need search dogs? And he said, well, you know, Lloyd Stoltzfus, yeah. And he said his daughter didn't come home from youth group last night. And I said, what have, what's been done since? Have you contacted the police? Yeah, the police are here. And I said, okay, it's not, I can't just, go get search dogs. I said, I have to create a detail for that and we need to justify it. Um, so I said, give me 10 minutes and I'll be there. Can you give me more information? He says, no, I got to go. So I uh, left the house here and went down and picked up my assistant chief, um, who's old order Amish. And I said, okay, I'm, I'll uh, figure out who to call. And so I called, contacted Lancaster County uh, Communications, and they're the ones that dispatch for Lancaster County, and asked them if they had direct contacts for any of the uh, um, K-9 search teams. And they said, well, they have some, and I explained to them what was going on, and I said, the police are already here. I said, the fire is getting involved. I said, we're now gonna set up a uh, unified uh, command, incident command. And I said, but in the meantime, till we get that established, I said, we need to get the dogs here. <clears throat> so they, they proceeded to try to make some contacts and they called me back right away, five minutes later, and says they weren't able to really make any contacts. They did talk to uh, Middle Creek Search and Rescue and said, they said that they could get some uh, teams here, but it's gonna take a while. So I, conveyed that to the uh, family and uh, to the uh, one police officer that was still there, a detective, and I said, we're going to go ahead and, if it's all right with you, we're going to go ahead and dispatch this, get the fire company involved, and that way we'll have uh, supervision and management and we'll have better communication. So that's what we did. So we dispatched our fire station for an emergency uh, search detail, and that brought everybody out of the woodwork. As the search for Linda began, it didn't take long for the surrounding community to catch word and offer their assistance. In the meantime, when I had arrived at the house shortly after six o'clock, there was numerous 
uh, Amish there. There had to be probably 50 Amish there. And a lot of those Amish were part of work crews that uh, their bosses had diverted from just leaving to go to the job sites to coming over here to the to the family farm and so that's where I, <clears throat> that was one of the reasons we had so many people in addition to a number of the neighbors farmers and just residents in the area at first it seemed like it would be a straightforward search maybe it would take a few hours but searchers were confident that they would find linda alive and bring her home so at that point uh, we were hoping that we would find her and that's what the goal was and so from there it progressed and um, eventually we by probably by 10 o'clock 10:30 that morning we had a uh, search command post set up at the fire station with communications and Middle Creek Search and Rescue was heading that up and they were very quickly teaching our officers at the fire company how they conduct searches and how the paperwork works how they want to group people and how they want to communicate and how they would like to then we jointly discussed how to go about searching and there we got the police involved and discussed what to do with the police they tend to be more targeted they have very limited resources and so um, we were the really the legs and the action teams for any tasks that came up at that point so by by eight at 8 30 uh we already it, it, it 20 after 6 we knew her the multiple ways she could have left or would have come home to the house from where she was at church and so at 8.30, by 8.30 in the morning, we had already had uh, two crews out, maybe three, that were walking the roads and looking to see, knocking on every house to find out if anybody had security cameras focused outward. Uh, by 10.30, we were, we had already had groups out that were uh, doing, starting grid searches of, of areas and we were very quickly feeding that information where they, those groups were going. We were very quickly feeding that back to the uh, Middle Creek Search and Rescue that was up at the fire station so that they knew what areas were already being covered. They were now talking directly with the police and trying to meet the uh, search area, the places that the police wanted searched and also do the general with how they usually do conduct a wide-scale search. Um, they were trying to incorporate all three of those the information we're providing back what the police wanted and what they would normally do and so that's how that went and in the meantime neighbors were coming out and the ladies were coming out and helping with food and stuff like that that was all done at the site so that all happened before noon on Monday after she went missing by sundown the search efforts for the day wrapped up with no sign of Linda as far as police knew, there were no clear sign of criminal activity involved in the disappearance, which they relayed to the general public. Tim Horner went on to describe the following days of the search. By the next day, we had the fire company had it down pat, our officers, and we were the point people for each of the search teams that were going out. We had the communication and we had the information and we were responsible to do the paperwork, which is not 
much. But then each time a group would come back, each group search group, they uh, get uh, debriefed. And so by Tuesday of that week, two days after she went missing, um, that was that was in full swing. And from there, we uh, continued expanding the search somewhat to other areas, but we are still primarily working from Route 340, Old Philadelphia Pike, going north up to Stumptown Road, and not much further north, not much further north than uh, Stumptown Road. We were covering every nook and cranny, and then it got to the point uh, by Wednesday we were actually going through some places the second and third times. We had dive teams that were there. They were searching uh, some of the bodies of water, ponds, and uh, they searched uh, the mill race at the at the far at the um, the old uh, mill on Beachdale Road. They searched the mill race, and then they went in underneath the uh, where the water flows through <clears throat> on that mill, and they searched through there to see if there was you know any body. And in the meantime, on uh, Monday afternoon and then Tuesday morning, uh, Mill Creek, the Mill Creek was searched thoroughly with boats uh, in the water and people walking along both shores. And then they went back through again and did the shores. I'm not sure which days that was that week, but they did the shores a second time, the heavy brush along there. And um, at that point, there was some information starting to come into the police department. And so the detectives were following up on that, but they weren't sharing any of that information with us for the most part, where they were going and what they were doing. The large crew spent hours on end searching the nearby terrain, with the operation being based out of the Burden Hand Fire Company. They walked along roads and through expansive fields in hopes of finding any sign of where Linda could have gone. Even more volunteers showed up to feed and bring water to the searchers when the temperature increased to almost 90 degrees. Canine teams and search drones were sent out. Nothing was overlooked, no matter how small. But despite the number of people and the long hours spent scouring, no new leads were discovered. There was no clear boundaries of where the search started or ended, as there was no indication of exactly where Linda could have gone. Investigators began to reach out to the community in search of new, crucial information. They had already interviewed her immediate family, but they sought out neighbors and friends in hopes that they would provide vital information. In their minds, a teenage girl such as Linda might not disclose all information to her parents. Most 18-year-olds have a desire to do things that family members aren't aware of, instead choosing to tell close friends around their age. While the investigation continued, so did the search. There was no lack of people willing to spend their days helping to push forward the search in any way that they could. Even when the work went on until the late hours of the night, the same officers would return early the next morning. Meanwhile, the Amish, Mennonite, and surrounding communities would gather together to pray and sing in hopes that their faith would supply them with a sense of hope and strength amidst the difficult process. A Facebook page was created to bring awareness to Linda's disappearance and give updates on the case as it progressed forward. Photos were posted of searches and gatherings, along with stories and reflections written by Linda's family and friends. They reflected on who Linda was as a person and the light that she brought into their lives. There was also no shortage of tips flooding into police. 
By day three, the FBI officially joined East Lampeter Township Police in their search efforts for Linda. At this point, all possibilities of what could have happened remained on the table, including that Linda could have chosen to leave on her own accord without telling her family. According to Public Information's officer for East Lampeter Police, Lieutenant Matthew Hess, quote, With this investigation so far, we don't have any direct evidence to say that this is foul play, or direct evidence to say that this was her leaving on her own free will, end quote. He urged Linda to reach out to police and her family if she was out there. At this point, the days were long and grueling with very little payout. Frustration grew as nothing was found to give any indication of what happened to Linda. For some involved in the search, there was a large emotional toll. But for others, typically the more experienced searchers, there wasn't much of an emotional toll at all. I'm going to say for our, our personnel, I'm not aware that there was that much on the emotion side of it. Um, I knew Lloyd uh, from the fire service early on. Uh, he was a young guy that came in after I was already there. Uh, he took training, he responded to a number of calls, and then he became more active in his, his family business of uh, cabinet making, kitchen making, and making. And then he got married and pulled away from the fire company some. You know, his involvement was much less. But I still knew who he was, and, you know, if I needed something wood-wise planed or whatever, or I needed, I had questions, I could run back and talk to him or his dad. And so. But I wasn't as close to them as some other people were in the community. Uh, but uh, there, even though there was people close to them, I think the the emotional, from my point and from our fire company membership, for the most part, um, I don't think it was that bad. Um, I don't think there was that much of a tool. I mean, we were bothered by it. We were frustrated more more than anything by it. Uh, that we couldn't do more, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think there was that much of a tool. Well, you you get worn out, and the frustration comes in because it gets to the point where we feel like we're searching areas, and and there's the same probability that she could be anywhere else or be up there. As far as the things that, when I look at the emotional side in the fire ser emergency services, uh, we consider the, uh, the uh, critical incident management where people have been exposed to this something really catastrophic and do we need to have additional professionals come in, provide counseling, evaluation and counseling and stuff like that. And, and you know, we talked about that numerous times. We paid close attention to our, our uh, membership, the people that were helping and we just didn't feel that. Did they offer, made the same offer to the Amish community saying, do you have anybody here nearby in the church, in the church and anybody that's really feeling hurt and we can, you know, get some help if you want it because, you know, we have some contacts and, and there was, you know, they didn't feel a need for that. So uh, the Amish community takes death somewhat differently than the way I think some of the English does. But uh, they tend to... Since they are so uh, Christian, um, they're, they're believers, uh, they do believe heavily in, in God's will somehow working out. And where the English community may say that, they may even believe that, but at the same time they want to try to jump in and intervene, you know. 
So, so from an emotional point, I don't. To me, it hasn't been uh, too bad at all for the fire company and for us. I don't think. But despite this, the police continued to fight to push the search forward. They had a deep personal interest in this case, unlike anything that has been seen before. Not sure why it was, but East Lampeter Township Police Department appeared to me to take this very personally. I mean, <clears throat> incredibly personally. And to the point that, uh, and they were working with Pennsylvania State Police, um, but they they got a hold of this uh, like a dog with a bone, and they they didn't drop it. I mean, they wouldn't let it go. And it got to the point that we kind of sat around saying, this is really interesting because we can't imagine why they're continuing to put so many resources in when nothing's materializing. Um, so I don't know what all happened, what transpired, if anything extra there, or I just don't know why that was, but they they went above and beyond the investment of resources, ultimately, especially their own, uh, into this case. It was, it was way beyond what I think most police departments would have done. But having said that, they also had at their disposal resources that no other police department probably has. And that was for us to be able to muster 300 to 600 searchers for an entire Saturday. I mean, you can't do that. People, you don't, you don't, and then to be able to manage those people and conduct it in, a, in an organized manner and to be able to funnel that information back in a constructive manner and precise manner to the police department so they could go out and investigate details that was being discovered out in the, in the field. So um, it goes two ways there, but, but to their credit, there's no doubt about it, the East Lampeter Township Police put their heart in it and it really seemed like they were taking it personal. And to my knowledge, there's no relationships there. You know, no personal. It's not like it's a family member or anything like that. So that was, you know, a lot to be said. And for the Amish of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, the case was even more personal. Linda was one of their own. So they responded to this tragic mystery in the way that they always do, together as a community. The Amish community played a role, just like when there's anything happening bad in their community, they're able to get together and, and they're willing to get together and, and do what it takes to address it and mitigate the emergency. And um, you see it in a, in a very narrow time frame when a barn burns down, the fire department arrives, we put the fire out, we usually stay around long enough to have a track hoe, large um, track, uh, tracked backhoe come in and tear everything apart and we make sure the fire is completely out. At that point, we've separated the, the metals from the combustible, remaining combustible material. And then the next day, the Amish step up and usually at that point, on the day of the fire or the night of the fire, uh, there's people in the Amish community, if it's an Amish property, are out there already figuring out uh, how the building's going to be rebuilt. They're making arrangements or creating plans to submit to the code enforcement officials, all that kind of stuff. So that's a very narrow time frame event that happens in the Plain community that they're able to mitigate. Oftentimes the fire department's part of that, at least at the beginning. So 
with the Amish community, this was no different except for the duration of it and the scale of it. And they set up a phone hotline uh, that people were able to call in. They had phone blasts, a, a bulk email system, or voicemail system whereby they had numerous phone numbers that they could call out and ask for volunteers and say, here's what's going on. We need volunteers at this time. We need another group at this time. We need another group at this time. We need you to take care of your own transportation to and from. So that meant they had to get their own taxi vans. You know how that works. And here's the resources they need to bring, you know, um, be prepared for bramble, searching through brambles, heavy, thick brush. So bring machetes, heavy clothing, leather gloves, and stuff like that. So they were communicating that way, and then they also had a hotline that people could call in and get information. What's the latest status? And so that's pretty unique for the Amish community. or That's pretty unique in general, especially uh, considering it's Amish. But just the sheer number of people that they could draw from um, made it made a huge difference. Because like I said, we didn't do a search with less than 300 people. And, and the communication within the community is fast. You know, the Amish phone line is, is well known for con- conveying information before, long before anybody else hears it. It's just, it just, you know, it, I say that it just goes fast. Once, you know, good example would be today. You know, if there was something happened yesterday or Friday, by the time it hits today, everybody knows in the county through church, through churches and stuff and family and all that. How accurate is it? Well, there's going to be some mis- misconceptions or some inaccuracies, but long, long and short, you know, the word gets out. Lancaster County Police soon began to reach out to the general public, asking any bikers, drivers, or walkers who might have been in the area around the time Linda disappeared. More specifically, traveling on the following roads between the hours of 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. on June 21st. Mill Creek School Road, Stumpton Road, Gibbons Road, Beachdale Road, and Mill Creek Road. But as the search efforts ramped up, authorities were forced to tell the public to refrain from spreading online rumors. If you simply googled Linda's name, a long list of pages will appear, and on many of them, users posted their various theories about where she might have gone. At first, the prevailing theory was that Linda left by herself. In Amish tradition, teenagers are permitted to take part in Rumspringa. During Rumspringa, Amish teenagers go out into the English world and integrate themselves into that way of living. It's an opportunity for teens between the ages of 14 through 16 to experience a different way of living before devoting themselves to the Amish life. Rumspringa only ends once a youth decides to get baptized into the Amish church or leave the community. There's no time limit for how long this may last. In most people's minds, this is the perfect explanation of why Linda would disappear. The problem with this theory was that Linda was 18 years old and had already been baptized into the community. While it isn't uncommon for Amish people to leave the community after already being baptized, in most cases, the family is aware that they're leaving. But no one in Linda Stoltzfus's family had any reason to believe that she wanted to leave. According to the East Lampeter Township Police Department, quote, there is no reason for us to believe that she wanted to just leave. That's what makes this an unusual circumstance. It's totally out of character for Linda. This is not just a normal person's investigation for us, I will say that. It's not typical to be receiving a missing persons case from the Amish community here." End quote. The second wildly believed theory was that Linda's kidnapping was tied to sex trafficking. Sex trafficking uses force and coercion to get victims into different forms of abuse, such as sexual exploitation and forced marriage. 
It's estimated that the human trafficking industry is worth more than $150 billion, with more than 400 million victims. In 2019, the state of Pennsylvania ranked fourth in the country for its human trafficking numbers, with many of the victims being local. The victims are typically young and vulnerable and can be taken by anyone, family and friends included. Lancaster County itself is a hotspot, particularly on the Route 30 business strip. According to data from the National Human Trafficking Hotline, in 2019 alone, 148 traffickers and 540 victims were identified across the state, but the actual number is believed to be much higher, with many victims too afraid to come forward. But according to experts, it seems unlikely that Linda's disappearance was related to sex trafficking. While it couldn't be completely ruled out, they believed it was more likely that she was taken for sexual purposes and maybe dead. According to Shea Rose, director and co-founder of the Villanova Law Institute to address commercial sexual exploitation, while sex trafficking could happen anywhere, it didn't fit this scenario. But no matter how many theories were thrown out, none of them stuck. It just seemed like Linda disappeared out of nowhere with no explanation. At this point, the FBI offered an award of up to $100,000 for any information that led to her recovery, along with the identification, arrest, and conviction of the person responsible for her disappearance. They released a composite image of what Linda could have looked like wearing street clothes instead of traditional Amish clothes, giving people an idea of what to look out for in case she changed her appearance. But as the search for Linda continued through the days, the divide between searchers and investigators was starting to become more clear. The police have to look at it from both angles <clears throat> initially. I mean, that's what they were doing. And so from the missing person side of it, <clears throat> lost, befuddled, had a seizure, they don't know where they're at, they wandered off, that kind of a thing. Unlikely on a young person, still possible. Um, that part, they worked with us on pretty well. The other part, the police side of it, they're following up, they're coming up with however they do it. Uh, possibilities and so they would be contacting us and say can you get a team of divers in we need to search this mill we needed us we we uh, need to search this pond we need to do this um, we had told them that we knew of side search radar which is radar unit that can hang over the side of a boat uh, a small boat craft um, we said well, we're pretty sure we can get some of that uh, it, it might take us a day and day and a half to get that and we explained how it worked and stuff. And next thing you know, they found it down Philadelphia area or somewhere. I don't know if it was a Coast Guard or who had it, but somebody had it, law enforcement. And so they were able to take advantage of that. So that helped a good bit. So since they're doing a simultaneous or parallel path here, including their own resources, they didn't have to put a lot of, of their resources into this, the missing person side of it. That's what we were doing. So they were looking at more of the criminal possibilities and they did what they, what they do. They interview people, you know, they, they try to figure out what might have happened, who had contact with her, was there any animosity, just all the, I'll call it all the negative stuff that could happen. And that's what they worked on. And so they were, they were pretty hard at that for a while. What people watching from the outside didn't realize was that as the search for Linda continued, the police were quickly narrowing in on a person of interest. And in the end, that person of interest would be the one to blow the case of Linda's disappearance wide open.
Listen episode 3 for an in-depth view into the search for Linda's killer and an interview with Douglas Bierig, the former head of the Pennsylvania Bureau of Criminal Investigations. Thank you for listening to this episode of Keystone Crimes. New episodes are posted bi-weekly on all podcast platforms. Please like, leave a review, or subscribe for more.